Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is March 8th, 2021, and here with me, as always, is my friend who's going to join me in a slice of pie, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi, April. Hi, Jen. Pie day's coming. Oh, I know. Everybody get your bingo cards out because we have got to talk about pie. Well, first talk about what pie day is before I wax poetic about this pie. Pie day happens on March 14th, 314. And of course, in math, pie is 3.14. And that's why pie is pie day P-I. And this year it falls on a Sunday, a perfect day to get yourself a delicious piece of pie like the one that I came home to last week. Do tell. While we had been away for a few days for a little getaway, when I came back, my neighbor, my beloved neighbor, had left me the best piece of coconut cream pie, my very favorite kind of pie, Mm. in our refrigerator. That's so great. And I just wanted to share that because it's a warm, happy, recent memory for me. I thought you liked pecan pie. I do, but I have to say, if I had to choose a favorite, Mm -hmm. it is coconut cream pie. But I hate to make any kind of cream pie. I am not good at the creamy, custardy things. I don't have a feel for it. I never know when they're done. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating. So I prefer to let somebody else bake them and I eat them. Now, I do make a mean pecan pie, as has been, you know. Richly established. <laughs> exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> it has been richly established here. Pie day. So I'm looking forward to it. What about you? Are you going to grab a hunk of pie? I guess we'll see. Maybe I always enjoy pizza pie on pie day. Oh, excellent thought. We'll see what happens. I've been wanting to make a sourdough pizza crust because mm-hmm. I make my own pizza, my own pizza crust. You have spoken. Yeah, and I make sourdough bread, but you have to plan it a couple of days in advance. Sure, you can't just the day of think, I want to make a sourdough pizza pie crust. Right. Mm-hmm. I never seem to think of it at the right time. So pie day, and we invite all of our listeners to virtually participate with us. Absolutely. In this highest of all holidays <laughs> in the Big Sky Astrology <laughs> Podcast universe. For sure. Now, you said, Jen, that last week we were on the charts in a brand new country for us. Tell us more. We were on the charts in Switzerland. So we want to give a shout out to our friends in Switzerland. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. We salute you. Yeah. I've been to Switzerland. Have you? I haven't been anywhere. (laughs) If I've gone off of the United States, it's to the South Pacific. That's the only place I get to go because I married someone from the South Pacific. So no, I have not. And you found it to your liking, I trust? It was beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I went in high school and I loved it. That's wonderful. To all of our friends in Switzerland, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you. So shout out to you. Here's to you. Well, speaking of pie, April, when I think of pie also, I think of the 12 houses in the astrology chart. Look at how you did that. Do you see what I did there? I'm really (laughs) impressed. Well, it's actually a really good analogy for it because everybody can picture that. And I've had a couple of students lately. I do individualized tutoring for people. And I've had a couple of students lately who wanted to know more about, in particular, the angular houses of the chart. It's kind of a slow week astrologically. We thought this is a good opportunity to pop in and just share with our listeners a little bit of information about what we call the angular houses of the birth chart. 
So this is the first house, the fourth, the seventh, and the tenth. These are the houses that kind of are associated with the cardinal signs. They are houses of initiative and leadership, and they correspond to the sun's location just before sunrise and sunset, just before midnight and midday. They are the times of day and the houses of the chart that really kind of fix us in place on the map of time. And the first house talks about your personality, your physical body, and personal defense. What I have found about all of the angular houses is there is some quality of defense about them. I haven't heard that whole piece about personal defense, so could you say more? Yeah, the first house, because it's where you first encounter the world, it symbolizes your first interaction with the world. So it would be new situations, new people, new circumstances, new things that you're learning, trying, attempting. There's always some element of personal peril to that. And so you're called upon to defend yourself. And the qualities of the sign on the ascendant, which is the cusp of the first house, talks about how you do that. How do you defend yourself in the presence of an unknown world? Let's use this analogy. You go to a party and you have to go by yourself. Okay. And you may be no one person there. And they're the guest of honor. So they're busy dealing with everybody else. Well, how are you going to defend yourself? Obviously, you're not defending yourself from physical peril. But you're having to cope with an unknown situation, a bunch of unknown people. And it's at risk to your sense of self, your personality. It's like, is everybody going to like you or not like you? The sign on the first house will tell us how you will tend to act in those situations. So I have Sagittarius on the first house cusp. Believe it or not, I'm not an extrovert. I'm a very (laughs) introverted person. But when I'm in a new situation, you would never know it Mm -hmm. because Sagittarius is a very outgoing, ebullient kind of sign. So my modus operandi when I go into a new situation, disarm people with laughter. So depending on what sign is on your first house cusp, that talks about the qualities you will use to defend yourself and to express your real personality. It's also about your physical body. I guess that makes sense in my brain because when I think of the traditional astrology chart, if you were to learn astrology, Aries is in the first house, as you said, and Mars rules Aries, and Mars is about personal defense. Exactly so. Okay. I always think of the houses as polarities. Mm-hmm. because they really work that way as a call and response. So opposite the first house is the seventh house. That's what's 180 degrees across the chart. The seventh house is about joining forces with others, with allies. And also it's about competition, which is something we forget. So it also describes your rivals and your open enemies. There are some people out there that just don't like us, and you will find them in the seventh house just as surely as you will find your very closest friends and your partners, because they see you in a way that's very clear and in a way other people really don't. So the seventh house is about joining forces with other people, and it's also the ways we compete. The first house corresponds with sunrise. The sun is in the first house in the two hours before it rises. So it's gathering that momentum coming out of the darkness to surface and be seen. The sun is in the seventh house the two hours before sunset. 
again, you're talking about in a birth chart, that first and seventh house line, which is the horizontal line that goes across the middle of the chart. I'm going to bring up clocks now for folks that know what an analog clock looks like. That would be at the nine o'clock spot is that first house. Mm -hmm. And the three o'clock spot would be the beginning of the seventh house. And if you're born at like 6 a.m., your sun would be right around that first house cusp. Correct. Which is where the sun rises at 6 a.m. Yeah, it represents the eastern horizon. Mm -hmm. And I might have just confused more people than, in which case you can ignore this, but maybe it made sense to some people. Well, that's okay. We've got various ways to describe this. I think you've said this before. If someone's born around noon, it's always going to be up at the top of the chart. And midnight would be at the bottom of the chart. Mm -hmm. Sunset would be the right side of the chart, that seventh house. Right. So the first house is that sunrise point. Mm -hmm. The seventh house is the sunset point. Right. But the sun is actually in those houses a couple of hours before they cross over that point. The fourth house, as you say, like the IC, which is the term that's given to the fourth house cusp, is where the sun would be at midnight. But leading up to that, the two hours leading up to that is actually the fourth house. And then the 10th house begins at the midheaven point, which is the cusp of the 10th house. And then it's the two hours leading up to that. So the fourth house is at the bottom of the chart. If you're holding a piece of paper and you're looking at those 12 pie pieces, it's the very bottom. Mm -hmm. And the 10th house is at the very top. It's that vertical line that goes through the middle of the chart. Exactly. Do you have a pie chart that we could link? People could have a visual. We will put together a little handout that demonstrates this and link it in the show notes yes. for everybody to download. So the fourth house is about your tribe, your family, security, and nourishment. And it's then about the defense of those things. So it's the defense of your family, of the tribe, of the mother country, of whatever it is that gives you a sense of where you are rooted in the world is the fourth house. And then the 10th house opposite that talks about you out in the world, pursuing your calling, defending your reputation and your status, pursuing the things that are important to you. So if you think of them again as polarities, as two houses working in tandem, and one informs and feeds the other, it's a much more intuitive way to work with it than trying to individually memorize, oh, the first house is this, the fourth house is this, the seventh, the tenth, and so forth. I mean, you have to know those basic concepts, but they make a lot more sense when you think of them in collaboration with each other. If you have planets in the angular houses, you are not a person who's going to sit back and wait for others to give you permission to do anything. You tend to operate out of instinct and in defense, if that makes sense. Anything else about the angular houses you think that we're leaving out? Does everyone have a planet in an angular house usually? No, but you'll always have a sign on each house. And you look to the planet that rules that sign. And then you look to what house it's in, what sign it's in, what aspects it's making to other planets. And that tells us how you operate in that house of your chart. So even if you have an empty angular house, the first, fourth, seventh, or tenth, you still have information in your chart. Right. Obviously, you've got a body and a personality. Obviously, you've come from a family and a country. 
Obviously, there are people in your life you interact with in a close way. And obviously, you have to leave the house at some point, even if only digitally and virtually in this (laughs) pandemic age. Exactly. And you are going to be seen by people perceived in a particular way. You have a reputation. And unless you're one of a very few people, you probably have to do some kind of work out in the world to earn your living. So obviously, if all of your angular houses are empty, well, clearly you still have all of these things at work in your life. So we know that this house is resonant. It's alive. It's active in your chart. But that is how we find out how you react in those areas. That's how powerful it is to look at the sign that's on the house cusp and the planet that rules it in the chart. And then, like you're saying, if you are someone that has a lot of planets in those houses, you're going to be someone that expresses themselves through those planets in those particular houses. Right. And those themes of defense and wanting to constantly be moving forward and not asking for permission, these qualities will be much more accentuated in your chart and in your character. If people have my book, The Essential Guide to Practical Astrology, there is a whole chapter on angular houses. And, you know, you can look in there and say, okay, I have Gemini on the first house. How do I interpret that? And all of that stuff is outlined in that chapter of the book. So I invite people to have a look at that. That's a great idea. And we will link it in the show notes. Because that is what we do, Jen. That is what we do. My friend, I know we have a whole sky to deal with this week. What do we have up first? Well, as you said earlier, it is a little bit of a quieter week in the heavens. And this week we start off with Venus squaring the lunar nodes on March 9th at 9.08 a.m. Venus is in Pisces at 15 degrees, 11 minutes. She's squaring the north node in Gemini and the south node in Sagittarius. Tell us about this, pal. Well, in the course of a year, as other transiting planets square the lunar nodes, they symbolize what can point us north or south. And in the case of Venus, it's pleasure. It is the people we associate with, especially women. It is our relationship to money and values. And I think this week, through those things, through those qualities of our existence, we are provoked to either stay in our comfort zone, which is the south node, or to push ahead into the new territory of the North Node. Venus is on the Sabian symbol, the flow of inspiration. And going with the flow can either be a positive or a negative thing. Sometimes it's important to go with the flow. And sometimes it's really important not to and to stand up, take a stand about things. The South Node at this configuration is on the symbol seagulls watching a ship. And that's You know, the status quo lies in being passive and watching life go by, like those seagulls who might even be waiting for a handout or for people to do things for us. The North Node is on the symbol, a woman suffragist orating, which is one that we've talked about recently. So the path forward isn't speaking out, but in a curious way, because it's still the North Node in Gemini. This will be questioning It really is less about standing up and saying, I think this and this and this. That's a much more Sagittarian image. The North Node instead is saying, I wonder if, you know, stating things like that, or what do you think about? Yeah, especially as it relates to relationships and money and values. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Always when Venus is involved, it means going into the senses, going into the pleasure areas of our lives. 
and through that, finding the inspiration that we need in this case to sort of break that impasse between staying where it's comfortable and moving forward to where it's a little more challenging. I see. Well, Venus is also busy this week as she makes a conjunction to Neptune on March 13th, more towards the end of the week. But before that, the sun will conjunct Neptune on March 10th, 4.01 p.m. Pacific time at 20 degrees and 37 minutes Pisces. And then Venus is conjunct Neptune on March 13th, 8.08 p.m. Pacific, 20 degrees and 45 minutes of Pisces. The Sabian symbol for this one always makes me wonder, and we have talked about it before. We have, yeah. And I feel I never get any closer to truly understanding it, but it's a little white lamb, a child, and a Chinese servant. In this particular scenario where we're talking about the sun, we're talking about Venus, and we're talking about Neptune. And the way I interpreted this is Venus symbolizes the lamb, the little white lamb, something just kind of lovely and of the sensual world, a little animal. The child would be symbolized by the sun in Pisces, and Neptune would be the servant. In ancient astrology, they didn't really know about Neptune, but the 12th house, which is similar, had some association with servants. Also the 6th house, of course, is the traditional house of servants. I think that what this is, is it's showing us relationships and relationships based on caring and oversight. We have the child that's looking after the lamb. We have the servant that's looking after the child. There's that little hierarchy there. And it's kind of, to me, this week, as we're going, you know, from the sun conjunct Neptune to Venus conjunct Neptune, it's about resetting creative and relationship cycles, which are represented by Venus and the sun, to attune to Neptune, the oneness of all things, caring, the way we care for each other, empathy, healing. I'm keyed in more and more to the idea of Neptune being associated with healing in whatever way we do that. So I think just generally speaking, I say, yeah, this is a week of taking care of each other, caring for each other, helping each other through healing. And I think it's a much nicer interpretation the way we often think of Neptune is, oh, we're really going to be stumbling through the fog this week. I mean, certainly <laughs> there could be some of that as well. Don't sure. get me wrong. Yeah. And it's all happening in Pisces, which also tends to drift, not necessarily in going through life in a straight line, but sort of shifting in a gentler way. That's a nice way to say it. What do you think about all of this? Because the sun comes through first on the 10th, and joins up with Neptune. I was thinking maybe they have a conversation, those two, and the sun says, here's my dream, because I think of Pisces and I think of Neptune very much as the dream world. Mm -hmm. And then Venus comes along a few days later after the sun has left, and Neptune has a conversation with Venus about, this is what the sun told me, and maybe it has something to do with imagination, compassion, healing, spirituality, all of the things that Neptune and Pisces symbolize. I like that. And the Venus says, here's pie. <laughs> <laughs> because Venus rules sugar. Yeah, it's all about the pleasure part of it, the pleasure principle. I think sometimes the sun, and it's less so in Pisces. I always think of the sun in Pisces as that lovely glow, that lovely little haze that you get, as we've talked about before, just after sunrise, just before sunset, where it's the light is a little bit softer and a little hazier, and there's a little more moisture in the air and this kind of thing. So the sun going through Pisces 
and especially connecting with Neptune, does have that lovely haze. Yeah. As you say, it's like it's a dream. In an ideal world, we do this. And the sun is very much of the spirit, you know, the animating spirit of us. Mm -hmm. And the Venus is more about our connection with the physical world. And it says, okay, well, physically, how are we going to make this happen? And will it be fun? And how can we make it appealing and get other people involved with the vision? It's kind of a very seductive planet in that way. And maybe the sun's dream, since it's in Pisces, is one that cannot be achieved alone. And so Venus comes along and says, oh, okay, well, we'll get some other people on board with this. We'll get a little white lamb and, you know, wander around after that. Yeah. I think also if you're doing anything that requires detail and attention during those days, kind of between maybe the 9th and the 14th of March, just double check everything. It's tax season in the United States, so oh. just double check your numbers. That's not a bad idea. And if you can't wait till next week, I mean, why fight it? Because there's good Neptunian work to be done this week. For sure. Two weeks ago, we had a full moon in Virgo. And that was the time for really looking at the details of things, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, getting your papers together for your taxes, that kind of thing. This week is much more Neptunian, much more Piscean. And by trying to focus too much on the little details, we will miss the big picture that Neptune and Pisces, I think, are trying to move us towards. So yeah, double check these things if you have to. Sometimes you don't have a choice. There are certain things you have to get done that are of a practical nature. But to the extent that you have a choice, choose this week to live in a little more unstructured way where you can. Very good. Jen, do you know what time it is? What time is it? Moonwatch. Moonwatch. Play it. <laughs> This Moonwatch segment is brought to you by our new non-imaginary sponsor, 10th House Creative. Now, astrologers will tell you to look to the 10th house of your birth chart. Like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, the 10th house is about your calling, your professional path, your reputation, your status. And because it's opposed the fourth house, ideally, this 10th house will reflect the things that are deeply true about you. Because it's like the fourth house, you gather everything from your fourth house. And that's what you're trying to project out into the world through your 10th house, the things that make you authentically you. So if you are called in this world to a profession that is caring, healing, socially aware, maybe you're a spiritual business owner, maybe you're on an entrepreneurial path of empathy, or perhaps you are part of a small mission-driven nonprofit. The very things that make you wonderful at what you do, your sensitivity, your focus on other people can make it really challenging to put yourself and your message out into the world. And that is where Mina Habibi comes in. Mina is the creatrix behind 10th House Creative. 10th House Creative builds dynamic and genuine branding design for heart-centered businesses. Whether it's a functional and down-to-earth website, a great logo, or engaging and genuine brand photography, 10th House Creative collaborates with you to create branding that speaks to your audience. 
Now more than ever, the world needs what you're offering. And 10th House Creative is here to help you be seen. Mina uses her intuitive vision and strategic reflection to boost your visibility so you can play big and shine bright. If you're a yoga or meditation teacher, a therapist, a holistic and wellness professional, spiritual mentor, astrologer, or any other esoteric arts entrepreneur, if you want to put the woo in, woo-hoo, <laughs> or if you're part of a grassroots nonprofit, 10th House Creative is for you. To learn more about Mina and to find out about working with her to make your business shine, visit her website. 10thhousecreative.com and follow her on Instagram at 10thhousecreative. Now, please take note, 10th is spelled out. It's T-E-N-T-H-H-O-U-S-E creative.com. Thanks, Mina. Thank you, Mina. Now, back to the moon watch already in progress. Pisces new moon. Tell us about it, pal. Okay, the Pisces new moon is on March 13th at 2.21 a.m. Pacific time at 23 degrees and 3 minutes Pisces. The Sabian symbol for this new moon degree is an inhabited island, which we seem to feel that we've talked about before because it immediately made me think of that Tom Hanks movie, Castaway. Right. So an inhabited island, I mean, what made that movie sort of interesting and charming, of course, is this man trying to make his way on an otherwise uninhabited island. I always think of an island as something that kind of secludes us from the rest of the world. There's water all around us. It's kind of like having a big moat around you. But an inhabited island says that, well, you're not really there by yourself. Think of some of our bigger islands like Manhattan or London. or The big island. <laughs> yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah, or the north or south island of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Inhabited islands. So it's the ways in which we are both together and apart with others. And there is always that part of us that needs our seclusion. You know, Pisces really is a sign that's known for needing to retreat from time to time to get away because I think it's so sensitive. And it's like they kind of absorb everything that they come in contact with without even realizing it. And suddenly they're like a sponge that's totally sopping wet and they need to go into seclusion for a while, kind of wring themselves out a little bit, remember who they are. Because when you're around other people all day and absorbing what they're about, it can be hard to remember what you're about. So a new moon in Pisces, we're resetting a whole 28-day cycle and a whole new two-and-a-half-year lunar gestation cycle, as they call it. That's why it's especially important to be mindful at new moon times. And know that you're planting something which will be gestating for some time to come. So make your short-term goals for the next 28 days that are of a Piscean nature. Look ahead six months to when the sun will be in Virgo and the full moon will be in Pisces. And you will probably start to see the fruits of some of what you're planting now. And then about two and a half years from now, you will be at the end of this lunar gestation cycle and you'll see the complete picture of what has been started now at this new moon. So every new moon basically starts three different cycles, a 28-day cycle, a six-month cycle, and a two-and-a-half-year cycle. Is that right? I think that's a good way to look at it. You also look at the chart of the actual moment of the new moon, depending on where you live. The wheel's going to look a little bit different, but the position of the planets will be the same. This new moon has the sun and moon conjunct each other, of course, 
Also, both of them are conjunct Venus and Neptune. We have four planets there really densely packed. But really, if you just can focus in to your chart and find where that Pisces house is, find the Pisces symbol and find what house cusp it's on, and you know that that is a house that is probably going to be very energized during the next 28 days. And all of those Pisces planets are sextile Pluto, which is in Capricorn, that's helpful with balancing some of that extreme sensitivity of Pisces. Again, it gives a little more spine, a little more... Grounding. Grounding, I guess. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is a way to look at it. Yeah. And squaring the nodes, we're really in between those eclipse seasons, as we talked about last week. Also, during this new moon season, we have Mars in Gemini trine Saturn. And we both have Mars trine Saturn. Yes, in our birth charts. Yes. And both of us have it in Earth signs, and we're both kind of, let's just say we work very hard and we enjoy (laughs) our work. Yes. And we're very focused on our work. That is a gift of Mars trine Saturn. Now, this is in air signs, but the general principle remains the same. Mars is how we get things done. Saturn has a plan and a structure. So having them work together is so wonderful because during this new moon season, we all have the capacity, I think, to some extent to come up with a plan, map it out, find the individual steps that we need to take to get there, and then put the pedal to the metal and get started on it. This is in many ways what we've been waiting for since the beginning of the year, which is a big green light to say, okay, this is a really good time to be initiating new things. And those big dreams that you were talking about with the sun conjunct Neptune. And all the planets are in forward motion, like we talked about last week. Right. Saying, go, go, go. Go, 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 especially that Mars and Gemini. What part of your chart is this in, Jen? All the Pisces stuff? This will be in my fifth house, the new moon specifically. Ah. How about you? So my fourth house, lots of things we're doing around the house. Lots of having to redo the way we live to accommodate our cats, (laughs) who, as I was telling you, adopted some very bad habits while we were away last week and are just taking over the whole world. So on the plus side, our kitchens never looked cleaner. Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it's like every time we use any dish, we have to wash it, dry it, put it away, because cats are going to be climbing. And, oh. You have kitchen cats is what you have. I know. I mean, it's very frustrating. And before everybody emails me, know that we have tried the compressed air thing, and the cats just knocked it down. Mm-hmm. I suppose if you have any other suggestions, feel free to share them. But really, I'm ready to just give them free reign. You're ready to buy them a chef's apron and a hat. <laughs> Get to work. <laughs> Make me a pie. <laughs> oh, A catnip pie. <laughs> yes, a catnip pie. I'll take it. Well, uh, I think that is everything on the show sheet, my friend. Have we done it? We've done it. Episode 72. Call it good. All right. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe if you're in iTunes. We think that if you're in Spotify, if you click follow. We know that in Spotify you hit follow. Oh, okay. And it's essentially the same thing. If you are in iTunes and maybe some other podcatchers, you can leave a rating or a review. And we hope that you will help us spread the word by telling a friend about our show. 
You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. We're so grateful to everyone who showed support during our Podathon last fall. Each week, of course, we always thank some of you by name. Who do we have this week, Pill? This week, we want to give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Charmaine Lim, Kelly Miller, and Emily Lane. Yay! Now, Charmaine, I believe, was one of our earlier pod pals. I do believe that's true. Yeah. Thank you, Charmaine. Really appreciate you. Thank you. And she supported us at the Podathon. Bless you. You're a wonderful person. Thank you, Charmaine. Emily, of course, is the social media person for Big Sky Astrology yeah. and was sweet enough to kick in a little to support the podcast as well. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. And Kelly Miller, we don't know you. But we send you love and thanks. We send you love and tell us more about you. We want to get to know you. Getting to know all about you. We thank you all and we thank you for listening to the podcast and especially for supporting us during our podathon. Absolutely. If you're a listener who didn't get a chance to support us during our podathon, you can always make a contribution at our website, bigskyastropod.com. And if you donate $5 or more, we'll invite you to the special episodes for the equinoxes and solstices, and we have one coming up shortly. We do indeed. You also get a nifty bingo card so you can follow along as you're listening through our archives and check off each time we uh, shout out something on that little card. Well, that is it for us this week. Please join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.